Kimberly Chexnader, more commonly known as Kimmy Chex, is an on-air personality for NFL media. She joined the NFL in 2018 as a participant in the league's junior rotational program as a rotational business analyst. Her career quickly climbed. She is now a full-time personality for the league. She works across multiple NFL platforms as a regular contributor and host. Most recently, Kimmy launched and is hosting the NFL's newest show, Real Talk, with the NFL. We talk a bit about this on the show today. It's a, it's a social first show themed around NFL social justice, amplifying NFL player voices, and highlighting black culture's tie to the sport and the league. During her regular season, Chexnader focuses on fantasy football, where viewers can see her analysis on NFL Network's Fantasy Live, Fantasy Game Day, Fantasy Bites, or the NFL Fantasy Football Show and Podcast. In 2020, Chexnader was named to the Athletics 40 Under 40, the rising stars shaping the direction of the NFL, and front office sports 25 Under 25. Yes, that is right. She is under 25. She joined us from her home in Los Angeles. How does the activist land the corporate dollars to make change? How does the child leave a movement? Hello, Greta, anyone. And how did the millennial convince the boomer? What do these situations have in common? They had make or break moments where influence was created and light bulbs went off. I'm Rebecca Nedelik, and this is Nuance of Impact, a podcast to get lost in the stories of those making change. Together, we'll chat, learn, and ponder the nuanced make or break moments that make social impact so impactful. Good morning, everyone. I am so excited today to be here with Kimmy Checks on Air Personality for the NFL Network. Hi, Kimmy. How's it going? Hello, hello. How are you? I'm good. I just have to say I love the black uh, Wonder Woman behind you. Isn't that amazing? It was a present um, when I graduated from college, and it's actually Oprah. So, like, if you see, get out close. It's Oprah. Oh my God. It's so funny. It's, it's incredible. I see so many people, um, like will tweet at me, um, and ask her like, where did you get that? I want, I want that exact painting. Um, it's awesome. I'm like, I want it. I might be hitting you up for tips later. This is like as close to an influencer as I get. I'm like, and I am influencing everyone to buy a black Oprah. This is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. So it is Friday today. So when this comes out, it'll be old ish news, but this is the week that white supremacists stormed the Capitol in Washington as an on-air personality. Like what's going through your head? I mean, what's going through everyone's heads? It was insane. And, you know, obviously I'm at home. Everyone's working from home um, with COVID-19 and I live here in Los Angeles. So it's COVID has, you know, our numbers have been rising uh, really rapidly. So everyone is like completely hunkered down. I'm like not leaving my house. I'm, I'm postmating, I'm grub pumping, I'm getting my groceries delivered. So I'm like in this insular bubble, but we're still working. So my fiance is like head down grinding, meeting after meeting after meeting. And I'm seeing all this stuff on, on social media and I'm in the middle of work meetings and then my boss kind of alludes to it and then I turn on CNN and I'm like what in the actual f is going on so I quickly like run into the office and I grab my fiance and I'm like do you do you see what's happening right now he's like no what's going on and it just took one minute for us to watch CNN and then for the rest of the day it was like cancel every single meeting let's clear our calendars and just sit and take in what we're seeing the fact Mm -hmm. that white supremacists and terrorists quite frankly, Mm -hmm. stormed and mobbed the United States Capitol 
Mm-hmm. And the fact that this is our reality, it's not shocking to so many of us, especially us black people and people of color, because mm-hmm. we've known this is the ugly truth of America for generations now. Um, but I think it finally gave people an up close and personal look at what the last four years under the Trump presidency has done and how emboldened and, and brave these incredibly naive and racist white supremacist and, and terrorists really are. So it's been a weird, it's been a weird week because I think we had so much hope going into 2021. We're like, how can anything get worse than 2020? And then six days into 2021, uh, 2021 is like, hold my beer. Like I'm going to show you guys how bad it could actually get. Uh, so I think 2022 is going to be incredible guys. I think <laughs> next year, that's, that's what we're aiming for. You know, it was funny because it was like New Year's Eve was coming. It was like de- death to 2020. And I was like, yeah, but like we're still we're still locked down. Like we're still we're still in it. It's not it hasn't stopped. I saw um, Kamala Harris uh, put out a speech about justice reform. Um, have you seen it at all? I haven't seen it yet. I watched and I, I you know, it's one of those things where you don't want to so be blind to what's happening, but there's so much that's coming out all at once mm-hmm. that it's like, you have to kind of take a mental health break. And the day that everything happened on Wednesday, I like had to turn off Twitter and turn off the news mm-hmm. for like five minutes. And it was so dumb. Like we played a game of Uno, which seems so minute and so dumb, but like even in that 10 minute card game of getting your mind off of something, cause it's absolutely debilitating for your mental health. So there's mm-hmm. still so much that I need to catch up on, but I'm trying to do it in small bits and, and pieces and small doses because otherwise it's going to completely consume me. And I'm just going to go down this deep rabbit hole, um, that we went down a few months ago, um, yeah. you know, after the tragic death of, of George Floyd, of just being in this really, really dark place. And I just, I can't bring myself to go there right now. Mm. How did you, I mean, how did you come out? Of, Cause I, like, I obviously resonate with that. And I think, um, there's almost, I think if anything, a good lesson for 2020, especially people who, um, obviously NFL network is a really large, it's a large organization and you're constantly trying to figure out, you know, how to create influence, how to make a difference, um, how to use your voice in a positive way. I mean, that, that speaks, that rings true for you, I'm sure in, in ways different than it would for me, uh, because you, you also have a platform. How did you deal with sort of channeling that, you know, anger, frustration, exasperation? Like, how do you do that? You know, I was, I was lucky enough to not be working on Wednesday or working, but I wasn't on air. Um, and that was like such a blessing because I think this entire season, this entire football season and, and working from home and being on air from home, it's been really hard at times. And I think if anyone ever asked like, what was, you know, the biggest struggle of quarantine or working from home or the pandemic, it honestly was like putting on a happy, brave face every single day where we understand everyone has Zoom fatigue. We understand everyone's going through all of these different things. But for a lot of people, like you could just decide to not turn on your camera for a meeting or say, hey, you know, I, I need to take a sick day or I'm not feeling well. Whereas I didn't have that privilege. It's like every single day I had to be on full hair and makeup and bubbly and fun and talking about football stats and who has a good matchup and who you should start in fantasy football. And at times it seems like so incredibly dumb, even though I love my job and it's my passion. It's like, when the world is burning around you, it's like you, you know, saying of spewing a football stat, like isn't really helping. Right. I think a lot of people look for that escapism of like turning on and you can fully immerse yourself in football, the thing that we all know and we love. Um, but it can be really hard on the person delivering those stats and those news, you know, nuggets, especially if you are a person of color, um, huge kudos to one of my coworkers, sisters, incredible friend. Her name's MJ Acosta and she is our host of total access. She is the very mm-hmm. first Afro Latino 
Latina woman to have a host on a major network show, especially at the NFL network for our flagship nightly program. Um, and she, during the show did a segment where she says, you know, we understand our duty is to bring information and news about what's going on in the NFL world. But I would be remiss if I didn't also talk about what's happening in our country. And she did this incredibly beautiful segment of, you know, also highlighting, you know, tweets and, and uh, press releases and, and different things that players had said, where the number one thing is, you know, so much we hear this argument of like, stick to sports, you're just an athlete. And these were black men and, and men of all races across the NFL saying, you cannot keep telling us to stay silent. We understand our platform. We understand our power. And we're not just athletes. We are citizens. We're Americans. We're passionate people about politics and social justice reform. So it was absolutely incredible. And it was just mm -hmm. like a huge moment of you know, someone being on a national stage, being a person of color, being deeply, deeply, deeply impacted by what's going on, but still having to remain calm and having to give the news in such a digestible way on a non-news platform, on a sports mm -hmm. network where, you know, we have fans who sometimes don't understand the struggle of racial inequality or, or don't understand, you know, exactly why we say Black Lives Matter. Um, so for her in that moment, it was like so incredible. And I had to ask myself, like, would I be able to do what she just did? And I don't know, because I'm just an incredibly emotional person. And as much as I want to like stick to the straight and narrow and keep a you know straight hat on, there's times where you just want to break down and you want to cry and you want to stomp your feet and you want to yell at the top of, you know, your lungs. But to see mm -hmm. her in that moment was so incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I have a new appreciation for anger and for exasperation. And, and especially now it's, you know, I think before it was like, in order to create influence, you, you couldn't have those things, right? You couldn't be exasperated. You couldn't present that way. You couldn't present with exasperation. You couldn't present with anger because it took away from your credibility. And I think if anything, 2020 has really shown us that that's not the case. Like that, that exasperation, that, that anger, it has power, it has influence and it's, um, and it's starting to change the way that I think people of color are able to navigate and exist in big environments where we don't see ourselves. Right. Right. What a time, what a time, yeah. what a time. <laughs> You're obviously super passionate about the player side of things as well. Like it's not just football. It's not just like you talking about stats. It's you seem to be really passionate about their stories and why it's important. Why, why is that a priority for you? Because I think there's this weird notion that people only look at our athletes as, as purely athletes. And if you think about the NFL and you think about the NFL within the United States and globally, but more so in the United States, like these athletes are glorified. By the time you're in high school, you know if you're good enough to go to college. By the time you play for a big college program, you have thousands, tens of thousands of fans looking at the number and the name on the back of your jersey and automatically associating you with a larger athletic ability right? Like you played at a, I went to University of Iowa. So if you were a football player at the University of Iowa, you were a big 10 football player that has like a whole different connotation in meeting because any, you know, person who's a sports fan would understand all the things you had to go through to get to that moment. And then you're playing on a large scale and then you want to go to play on the largest scale of all, which is the NFL. So by the time our athletes get to the NFL, they have had a spotlight on them all the way back from high school. Right. You think about being recruited out of high school to college. Then you think about being drafted from college and going to the NFL. So they've had this constant, constant, constant spotlight on them. And it's only been a spotlight on them for what they do on the field. 
we can talk about, oh, this guy was, um, he made all Big Ten academic team. He had good grades. He did this, that, and the other. But that narrative also gets lost because the number one thing people care about is your athletic ability. Mm. Then by the time you get to the NFL, it's so incredibly competitive and you're playing for a win and so many fans are so invested in how many wins you have as a team and what your organization's doing and, you know, are you going to the Super Bowl? Are you making the playoffs? That again, we lose sight that these are men, these are people. Um, so I think the thing that, that I've always been so passionate about is like, why don't we tell the stories of the athletes beyond the field? Or why don't we highlight all the good that they do? Because these men are so incredibly smart and they're so incredibly strategic and I've done so many incredible things to get to where they've gone because to where they are, because it's such a windy and, and crazy competitive path, but we just don't highlight them. We don't give them enough credit. We don't understand that they're intelligent. We don't understand that they do work in the community. We don't understand that they are leading nonprofits and donating millions of dollars a year. So if I, on my small platform, can be able to bring light to these stories, then then I feel like I'm actually doing my job because for mm -hmm. us to go out and cheer for them on Sundays and cheer for them to win a game, you have to understand the person you're cheering for. They're not just mm -hmm. a black body running on a field and tackling someone else or throwing a, a football for your own enjoyment. They're putting their bodies on the line so that we can watch a game. The least we can do is respect who they are as a human being and as an individual before we respect who they are as an athlete. Mm. You know, like these conversations are really about like the nuances of, of people who are advocating for change. And, and I often think that people who are doing this type of work, it's because they're noticing things that people aren't and they're figuring out ways to get those passions, like things that obviously you're really passionate about across and, and bringing it to the forefront. When you think about like your story, your journey, what for you sets you up to really pay attention to those, to those nuances, like the things I've never heard anyone else say that I'm fully transparent. I know nothing about football, like zero <laughs> things about football. I'm Canadian. I know like zero things about hockey. I go to a hockey game every now and then, but it, it's the same mentality. Like we see them for the athletic ability and I've never seen anyone talk about it in that way. I mean, I think it, it goes back to being a woman of color and understanding that so many people, I feel like made an assumption based upon what I look like or what I present myself as without actually knowing who I am. And if I was going to be judged like that for the rest of my life, I don't know if I would have the success that I have now or the success that I hope to continue to have, you know, in both my personal and my professional careers. Um, mm -hmm. We take for granted who people are and the stories that they have. We just assume that they're always going to, going to be there. We always assume uh, that they're they're good people and, and that if they have this platform, then you know mm. we can just focus on what we want to focus on without actually unveiling the path that it took them to get to where they are or the stories mm. of who they actually are as a person. Uh, so I think you know being looked over, or being judged, or, or being you know mistreated. That gives you a whole different perspective that once you have that, you're like, I don't ever want anybody to experience that. So again, if I have a platform and if I have a power to highlight stories or to give a whole different perspective, then that's what I'm going to do. Because anyone, not anyone, but a lot of people who love football uh, could sit and spit out statistics and talk about yeah. matchups and talk about, you know, the game or breaking down X's and O's or trades or, you know, what team needs which player to succeed in the playoffs in the Super Bowl next year. But not a lot of people can sit down with an athlete and get them to break down the barriers of who they are and who they mm. are as black men. 
So as a black woman with the platform, with the, with the you know, experience and, and the opportunity to unearth some of these stories, it's on me to make sure that people understand who these men are. Hmm. When you talk about like those, because obviously you see a parallel there, like when you're like, I've been overlooked, I've had those experiences for, you know, things beyond what people see and perceive. What are some of those experiences? Like what guided you? You know, I think a lot of times, and especially like working in the sports industry, there's this as a woman, there's a thought or an idea that like you got to where you are because of what you look like or because Mm. of who you know, or because of all these different things. And I think that was just like an automatic assumption for so many people. Um, Mm. You know, when I started at the NFL, a question was, you know, who are you related to? Get out. And who do you know? or, Or what school did you go to? And for me coming in from a I mean, I, I will always say I was the best university in the world, but coming from a state school in the middle of America with not enough, with not a lot of, you know, name likeness outside of athletics, Mm -hmm. um, to come to a company and to be in the likes of people whose family owns the teams that were, were, you know, doing business for Mm. people who have generations of Ivy league educations. And then for little old me to like walk in, there's this weird notion or, or question of like, well, how did you do it? Who are you? How did you get here? And to be questioned at times or to be overlooked or to be assumed that I got somewhere because of a factor outside of my intelligence Mm -hmm. and outside of me working my ass off tirelessly my entire life, like that kind of lights a fire under you of like, you know what? I want to make sure that people understand who I am and they don't continue to discount my work or discount my education or who I come from or, or who I am. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many instances. I feel like I could like rattle off this entire episode, you know, every time that I've been misjudged or mistreated or overlooked, as can so many different people of color across the world, because sadly, the very first perception that someone has is what they see. And if they see brown skin and big curly hair and the way we walk or the way we talk, they make an assumption. And a lot of times those assumptions aren't correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, you're right. We could, you could spend all day long talking about all the instances, but I think it, like a better question is how did you handle it in those instances? You know, I've been, I've always been incredibly confident and, and very self-reliant. I'm an only child. My dad passed away when I was 10. So I was raised by the most incredible mother in the world. And she always like reinstilled the values of like betting on yourself mm. and that you are your biggest confidant, you are your biggest cheerleader, you are your biggest everything. So from a very early age, like regardless of what anyone thought, I was like, I'm the shit, like I'm great. I'm going to accomplish everything. I can do whatever I want. I can be whatever I can be. So in so many times, you know, when I've had these unfortunate situations, it's like, I just have this internal monologue constantly going that like one, it's more so a reflection of them and their insecurities and what they're going through. And then two, it's like, they are probably so incredibly scared of the power that I possess that they want to constantly try to belittle it or, or, or to bring me down a notch without understanding that actually, that, that actually like fuels me to be even better. Like all of those instances make me want to grind 10 times harder of like, if you don't think I can do it, I want to do it 10 times faster than I even wanted to before, because, you know, for someone to question my ability is them questioning who I am. And if someone wants to question who I am, I will show you who I am. And you're going to be pretty damn surprised when you see it. Cause you're like, holy shit, that girl's incredible. Mm. You won an award this year. I know. Yes. Tell me about it. 
Yeah, so I was I won two incredible um, recognitions this year. One was a front office sports rising 25 under 25. So myself and 24 other individuals under the age of 25 were recognized for our work in the sports world. And then I also was recognized for the athletics 40 under 40 um, game changers across the NFL, which was incredible. Um, super surprised and excited and delighted to get those recognitions and, and be on list with, you know, head coaches of the NFL and very prominent, uh, you know, sports attorneys and lawyers and sports figures and general managers and things of, of that sort. And then to see me, I'm like, what? How did, how did that happen? Um, but it's, it's been really awesome, but it's also like this weird, um, not guilty conscience, but it's this weird moment of like, I stand on the shoulders of so many people who came mm. before me. And just now, is it cool to recognize like young black women? Just, just now, is it cool to like really give power to the people who are actually doing the work rather than the big glitzy glamorous names? Um, so I'm so incredibly proud and honored, but I also have this, this feeling of like, I was able to do it because of the people who came before me. And I wish the people who came before me got their shot recognition the that they're, they're giving it to us now because they're the ones who pioneered and paved the way so that little old me's uh can come and and be great yeah get it girl that's awesome love it um on that so 25 now 24 still 24, 24 now. yeah shit i know that's I'm incredible so i'm so young but i'm out here you know i always i always thought i was young for you like i'm 27 and yeah, like a baby come on uh, yeah but like dude you're 24 i'm like a 35 year old like I know I feel in a garden type where I just like sit at home and bake and and cook and like you know do all my work from home and like do all my incredible like write books and things like I I feel like I'm just you know that's what I aspire to I don't know what it is I've always resonated with the elderly like a lot I'm like (laughs) I I may be 27 but like throw me a puzzle man like I I sit and do the New York Times crossword and just have a cup of tea and (laughs) yeah I'm like, it's just, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in the older generation, not where I want to go on this conversation, but like, I get you. Yeah. Question on it though, like momentum. So always in my career praise, like I'm not an NFL personality girl. Like you're, you're killing it. When, when you think about momentum, do you ever, do you ever freak out a little Be Like I'm, I've hit all these milestones. Do you feel this like sense of urgency? Yes and no of the fact that like I have my dream job at 24 years old, like point blank period. Like I, there's nothing else of like, that's what I need. That's my dream network. That's my dream gig. Like I have it. So now it's like this weird feeling of like, oh shit. Okay. But like, what do I actually want to be when I grow up? Cause like, here I am, I'm doing it and I'm happy. And this is incredible. But like, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? Like what's the next step? You know, mm-hmm. who are the mentors that, that I need to, to aspire to, you know, meet and, and have pull me along. And it was funny. I was, I was talking to my fiance about it and we were talking about mentorship. Cause that's something incredibly important to the both of us. And he was like, Kim, because I had asked, I was like, what should I be when I grow up? Like, you know me, like, who, what should I be? What, what should I do? And then we got on the subject of mentorship and it's this weird feeling of like, I no longer need to really look to people in my industry who have the exact same job of like on-air mm-hmm. talent. Right. I don't necessarily need to look to them 
for mentors, even though I still have them and they still are my mentors. Now I should be looking at the people like Mav Carter, the people who have now built these huge media conglomerates and these huge multimedia, you know, content platform companies, because I'm, I'm crushing and executing on, on the on-air side, but then what's my next step? Is it being the Maverick Carters and the LeBron James bringing Spring Hill uh, entertainment and uninterrupted uh, to our screens? Like, is that what I want to aspire to be now? So it's this weird moment of like, yes, there's so much momentum because I've gotten here and I've done it so quickly but now it's like okay while I'm in this moment in the stillness of like relishing and living my dream now I need to be really strategic and smart about like well what's next mm-hmm. if I have a dream opportunity and Aladdin is like here are your three wishes what are your three wishes for your career I don't even know what that would be because I'm so happy and I'm so content at where I'm at. But now it's on me to like really push the envelope and the bubble of like, okay, I'm building a platform and building what I need to do. Now it's time to like do the next step and like mm. go, go crush it. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like ever, um, do you ever feel, so for those who don't know, uh, Kimmy's fiance is uh, Jason White, who's also been on the podcast before. And um, I, I would consider Jason a mentor as well. And I'm just yeah grateful to him for even introducing me to you and, and getting to know you. He's my mentor too. I'm like, you're my mentor. <laughs> is he over there? I'm like, I see the eyes. I, he like walked by and, but I'm, he'll be fine. He like walked by and walked out. I don't know. He probably won something. I think once he called it fidgety, like, it's like, do you ever feel fidgety in like, that you've hit this momentum, right? Like you're rolling with it. And that sense and need of like urgency to move to not, and not necessarily move jobs, but just continue pushing along because you've hit these milestones at such a young age. And, and also, do you ever get, do you ever get the, like the request for patience? Like, Hey, you're killing it, but just like, just chill. Like you're, you're. Yeah. And I think that's where I'm at where it's like, I've hit all these things. So it's like, I don't, I don't need to be rushing to the next thing. And this is where I think social media has brainwashed all of us because we only see people celebrating their milestones on social media. Like, I'm so excited that I accepted (laughs) this job. I'm so honored that I've been, you know, got this recognition. I've got this award, this, that, and the other. So when you look on Twitter or you look on Instagram or you looked on LinkedIn and you're constantly seeing people um, self-praising and and celebrating their accomplishments, which they should. And I encourage Mm -hmm. everyone to self-praise because if you don't do it, who's going to do it for you? But when you constantly see that, then you start comparing yourself and you're like, okay, well, they just got this award. They just, they just got Forbes 30 under 30. Okay. I'm 24. So, so when do I need to submit my application? Oh, well, and then you start comparing yourself of like, well, they got this recognition and I've done this similar work. So like, shouldn't I have gotten that recognition? And you start to like go in this toxic cycle of constantly, constantly comparing your worth and your value and your accomplishments and your career and even your personal life to other people, not understanding that we only show other people the good. So it is this like weird fidgeting of like, if I see someone else um, celebrating something huge or a new job or whatever, then I can like question where I'm at. I'm like, okay, what do I need to do next? But then you have to stop and like realize like, calm the F down. Like you are 24, you are okay. Like you are on a path that you will continue to succeed upon if you continue to grind the way that you grind. So it's this weird like fidgety, but then also reminding yourself like be still and be present in the moment. Because if you don't do that, then you start to overlook what you actually have. Mm, yep. Yeah. I, uh, I had a conversation with my, my mom and she had said to me, 
just, just pause, sit back into your chair for a second and acknowledge the accomplishments that you've made over the last year and like be grateful and sit in that gratitude for just a minute. It's I like, know. Take it in for just a second. Let's just. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Real talk. Tell us about real talk first. And then I want to talk a little bit about, um, about your confidence and just how that's developed. Yeah. So real talk with the NFL was developed by an incredible team of internal NFL people this summer. Um, and it really was born out of the protest and the death of, of George Floyd and these really tough conversations we were having internally and externally at the NFL. Of like, we have this platform. We understand that we are a league of mostly predominantly black athletes. Um, so we have a duty um, to really talk and have these hard conversations and to go out and say that Black Lives Matter, to go out and, and protest racial injustice, to go out and protest police brutality and, and systemic racism. Um, and from that, we realized we've done all these things. You know, we have an arm of the NFL called Inspire Change uh, that's all around social justice. And we donate hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, we help our athletes match grants and we do all these incredible things. But what are the stories behind our athletes? What are the stories that we could hide Highlight uh, on a daily basis that really tell the stories of the men who play the game. Again, going to the point of I want to kind of take off the helmet, take off the football plaids, and have you look at a black man and understand his story. So Real Talk um, came out this summer and it was a weekly show that we did originally on Snapchat. And now um, we did a ton of episodes on Snapchat and we're transitioning over to an Instagram live type series where bi-weekly I go live with athletes across the NFL just to have conversations about social justice. So our episodes have spanned so many different, you know, topics of like, the stigma and the conversation around a black quarterback, where if it's a white quarterback, we describe them one way. But when we talk about black quarterbacks, we use very coded language. Uh, mm. we, we say that that white quarterbacks are leaders. Um, if you think about Tom Brady, one of the best quarterbacks in all of the NFL and NFL history, he is notoriously known that if he loses a game or, or if he's in a losing situation, he can get really frustrated. And we've seen those instances where if he's lost to a quarterback at the end of the game, he won't shake the, the quarterback's hand and he'll go into the tunnel um, and, you know, go have a, a post-game presser with the team or a briefing and, and then go from there. And a lot of analysts will say, well, you know what, Tom, he, he's played, he, he's been so used to winning. He was just caught in the moment and, and he just wanted to go be with his team and, and take the win in by himself. Then on the other side of the coin, if you think of a guy like Cam Newton, black quarterback, uh, MVP uh, recipient a few years back, incredible, incredible, incredible athlete. He has been known as, as having an ego that if he doesn't win, he's mad, he's angry, he's not a team player. So these are guys, two incredible quarterbacks who have now played for the same organization now with the New England Patriots, and they're completely held to different standards. And you can see that all across the league. So we had a whole episode about breaking that down. We had a whole episode about what it even took to have black players in the NFL. We talked about the fashion and the style and how like pregame swag and caring about what guys are wearing into the stadium has become a thing from black athletes. So we really have like done a full range um, on some of these episodes and then conversations with our players have been incredible. Like I just sat down with Jalen Rager, who's a rookie for the Philadelphia Eagles. So he's in his first year in the NFL, was a first round draft pick uh, last year. And we had a whole conversation about black mental health. And to see a 21, 22-year-old athlete with such a platform in his very first year of the NFL talking about Black mental illness and, and Black mental health, 
was incredible. So mm. it's just been really fun to have this platform and to have real talk, which is intended for like real conversations, real athletes sharing real stories. It's unfiltered, it's raw, and it's me and, and people who look like me having the conversation. So it's been so incredible and it's been such an incredible platform. And I think now we're to the point of like, how do we expand this? How do we grow this even more within the NFL ecosystem? Because our stories are so incredibly important and we need to make sure that we're highlighting them appropriately. Mm. And like the timing too, right? Like this isn't, this was probably also for the NFL during like for the time it was 2020, June, May in there. Yeah. It was like June. It was like June, July. I think we started episodes in July, in July. So yeah. And, and it was one of those things where we also wanted to make sure that we were incredibly authentic to ourselves in the show as well. Like we didn't want this to feel like this was like a PR stunt of like, okay, Black Lives Matter and George Floyd happened. So now the NFL is going to come out with a show to highlight black people. Like that was not at all the in intention. And that's why like the, the group of people who have worked on Real Talk are like so special to me because from the jump, we sat down and said like, we don't want this to be that. We don't even want someone to misinterpret it as a PR stunt. Like these are real mm -hmm. conversation hosted by a black woman produced by a team of employees who care and who understand and who are going to tell the stories uh, in the right way. Yeah. And I'm sure that like you hosting that show, obviously you get so much out of it, even personally, right? Like I can see your eyes light up when you talk about it. Yeah. It's like, it's like you find a whole new respect for the athletes. Cause again, we idolize them and we think they're so yeah. incredible. And I still like, I'll be at pro bowl or super bowl. I'm like, Oh my God, there's Patrick Mahomes. Like I love him. And you get so caught up in the moment that once you like actually have these conversations, you're like, wait, these are like my friends. Like these are guys who go through the same things that I go through, who, who have these incredible journeys and these incredible messages and stories to share. Um, so then, yeah, you get like a whole newfound respect and and just gratitude that these are the athletes who are paving the way for our league. And these are the men who have these incredible platforms that can hopefully inspire millions of people. Mm. What would you say to other young black professionals who are working, you know, in big systems um, like NFL network, you've told me a little bit about, you know, speaking up on zoom calls through BLM in June and, and making, you know, your opinion known to 500 plus people. And we talk about confidence. Like I, even when you're, even when you're talking about like advocating for these things, I mean, I'm in awe. Like I, do you ever, did you ever worry about, you know, making your point so courageously, but not that you raised your voice, but you made your voice known. Yeah. So, you know, we had a lot of discussions regarding Black Lives Matter and, you know, what this means, what this means for our country, what this has meant for generations, what this means to Black employees, what this means to Black athletes. And we're having these conversations, we're having these conversations, and it got to a point where I decided to speak up, um, not because I didn't believe in the NFL, but because I feel like, you know, we have to hear from the next generation of the people who are going to take this lead league forward. And I have every intention of, of staying, you know, with the NFL and hopefully being a leader within our organization for years to come. So for me, it was understanding that I know my power and I know my voice. I also know that I'm fortunate enough and have the privilege to have allies all across the company and, and ha to have had my work on large display for uh, different groups and, you know, different departments across the league so that, you know, in those different groups and departments, I'm like, I probably have an advocate or an ally in all these different rooms. Mm. So if I speak up, I have the privilege of knowing that I have someone that's probably going to have my back. 
right? And that it probably wouldn't be wise on the NFL or any company, for example, to then go against, you know, the Black employee who's speaking up so passionately about something that's impacting our community. Um, So when I spoke up, it was obviously courageous and in something that was scary, I think, for, for other people to do. But I understood that I had to make an impact and I had to speak up because there were a lot of other employees that couldn't. Mm. I, and I kind of alluded to, to this with you. And I think even outside of the NFL, like I could talk about this holistically and we could break down colorism and every other thing. I am a very safe black woman to a lot of people, right? I'm not intimidating and I'm super bubbly and fun. I have like the fun, big curly hair that, that a lot of people are like, oh my God, how'd you get your hair like that? Can I touch it? Oh my God, how does it dry? How do you sleep, right? I get these like questions of, of white people and non people of color, like looking at me, like knowing that I'm diverse, but I'm still like white enough for their approval. Like I'm white enough to not be scary. Mm. I also know that that's a privilege. And I know that I have that privilege that a lot of other black employees and people across our country don't. So it's different for me speaking up as opposed to someone else. And they may have different consequences because of the systemic racism in place across our country that them speaking up is angry. Them speaking up uh, is is the angry mad black woman and they're the, or the mad black man. Whereas for me, it's a lot of people are like, oh my God, that that young lady, she's so brave. She's, she's speaking in her power. 